Hello, and welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you so much for joining me on this Valentine's Day. We have a new contest up for the month of February. We are continuing with our recent theme of goals and getting things done. So for this month, the contest prompt is productivity. We want you to post a picture of whatever tools of the trade that you use to stay on top of your to-do list and make progress on your writing goals. Um, Post your picture and tag us at Happy Writer Podcast, and you will be entered to win a free book. All the details for that contest can be found on Instagram. One thing that is making me happy this week, oh my goodness, so happy, just this morning, I received an email from the producers of The Heartless Musical. And I hope this isn't supposed to be a secret. I hope it's okay for me to share this right now. Um, but it sounds like there is a chance that they are going to be performing the musical again sometime this year. So if you don't know about The Heartless Musical, if I didn't gush about it enough last year, or if you're new to the podcast, um, this is a musical that was written, produced, and performed entirely by a group of teens out of Salt Lake City uh, based off of my novel, Heartless. And these teens, they are incredible. I adore each and every one of them. And for me, getting to go and watch the show last year, no joke, it was one of the biggest highlights of my entire career. So I'm just thrilled to hear that they might have a chance to perform it again. And I know lots of you were really bummed that you weren't able to go and see the show, that tickets sold out within hours. Um, So I hope that if you were one of those, I hope you'll get a chance to go and see it. Um, I have no more information about it right now, but definitely once I do, I will post about it on Instagram. Um, And of course, you can follow their Instagram at heartlessthemusical. Uh, for the most up-to-date information. And we can all just gush and fan over it together because I just think it's so, so cool. Of course, I am also so happy to be talking to today's guest. She grew up in small-town Ontario and studied political science at both the University of Western Ontario and the University of Ottawa. Her debut novel, Seven Faceless Saints, came out last week. Please welcome M.K. Lobb. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Marissa. I'm a huge fan. I'm very excited to talk to you. (laughs) Thank you. I'm super, I am now a fan of yours. I absolutely love this book. Oh my God. Thank you. That means a lot. (laughs) Um, So the first thing that I like to kick off every chat with, I'd love to hear about your origin story. Your bio mentions political science. Which yeah. seems like an a bit like on one level a little bit of an unusual path to then go from that into writing fantasy fiction, but at the same time, having read the book and how much politics are involved with it, it kind of makes me feel like maybe it's not so weird after all. So anyway, I'm really curious. What is your path? How did you get here? Um, that's a good question, actually, because when I went off to university, I went into literature first of all. Um, like that was what I started going to school for. Um, I was in a program specifically for the arts, and for some reason, I just was not really loving it. So in my second year, 
um, I decided that my new dream out of nowhere was to work in parliament and I was going to take political science. While I did that, I was still constantly writing books. I guess I discovered I should have taken more like creative writing instead of literature and theory and stuff like that, because I was not a big fan of critiquing um, like critical literature. So when I switched over to poli sci, I was still doing all the writing stuff. And by the time I graduated, um, I was actively querying and uh, still doing that in the background. And eventually I kind of just got an agent and a book deal and started putting my political knowledge into my books. <laughs> Were So how many manuscripts did you go through? I mean, that's to be querying when you're still in college um, is you know, pretty early for most people. How many novels do you think you'd written and how many did you query? How many were rejected, etc.? Oh boy. So I probably wrote, I think the eighth was the one that got me my agent. Seven, seven or eight was the, was the one. Um, and so I queried pretty much all through college. And then by the time I actually got an agent, I was, I think two years graduated or so. Um, so I queried for quite a few years and wrote quite a few books. That's so funny. So just last week on the podcast, we had um, Jenna Miller, who I think you know. She oh, said yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and when I was talking to her, she was saying how, like, she wrote many books, but it wasn't until um, that book that we talked about, Out of Character, that she was, like, confident about it enough to finish it and submit it. Were you oh, kind of the opposite where you were like, I'm just going to write a book and send it out there and we'll see what's oh, yeah. next. <laughs> I know a lot of people are like, they've told me that they don't want to query because they're worried that it's not a certain level of polished and stuff like that. And I was the complete opposite. I probably queried way too early with books that were not ready. Like I was 21, I think, when I queried my first book, finally. Um, yeah, Wow. And it was only the second book I'd written. I didn't query the very first one, but yeah. So I- There you go. You had a little bit of restraint. <laughs> well, the first one was like a World of Warcraft fan fiction of like 150,000 words. So I don't think anyone would have wanted that anyway. <laughs> so then you get your agent with the, you said maybe the eighth or so novel. Um, I assume from the way that you said it, that that book was not Seven Faceless Saints. No, that was actually. Oh, it was. Um, but okay. So the, once you got the agent, then that was the book that sold. Right. And it's funny because that was not the one that I expected to get an agent, I guess. Um, the one previous to that is the one that got the most requests. And I was so certain that that was going to be the one I published first. And it was not. I think I got 26 full requests or something like that. Oh, wow. Um, and I did... I think I did three R&Rs out of the five that I got, which are revise and resubmit requests. Um, and I still didn't get signed with that one. So. Oh after- my gosh. How unusual. Yeah. I know every time I tell someone that they're like, how is that possible? I guess it was just a really convoluted plot and I really needed to kind of cut it down and I wasn't doing enough of that in hindsight. That's what I think the problem was. Um, mm-hmm. I shelved know. that one and um I started writing a new one that was kind of just fun, like something that I would like as a fantasy. Um, And I queried my current agent who had gotten my previous manuscript and the one before that, actually. (laughs) Um, And she like expressed interest in my writing and she gave me a revision request. 
Um, and instead of actually doing the revision on my previous book, I just sent her my whole new book and that <laughs> is the one she requested on. So <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that book um, that you did had the, so many full requests, but didn't ultimately sell? Do you think it'll ever see the light of day? It's funny you say that because we actually just sent it to my editor last week as my option book. Nice. So I'm hopeful, but I, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> You could potentially skip right over second book syndrome. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> You're like, nope, I already got this one in the bag. Here you go. <laughs> well, I wrote the sequel um, to Seven Faceless Saints, which is Disciples of Chaos. Um, I'm on the third round of developmental revisions for that. And I think I was still hit pretty hard with second book syndrome. So. Okay. Okay. I guess that makes sense. You didn't escape yeah. it entirely. <laughs> Definitely not. Sequels are hard. I was not ready. Yeah, no, sequels are hard. And second book syndrome, it is a real thing. It's uh, it's totally different to go from working where you feel like you have no deadlines and you kind of have the time to massage it and edit it as much as possible. And then suddenly you have expectations, you have readers, you have editors, you have people with opinions. And it's a very, it's a different beast to write. Uh, that second book. Yeah. Especially when your first one's just kind of starting to move out in the world and people are talking about that and excited about that and like reviewing it. And you're supposed to somehow focus on a totally different book. Like it's hard. It is hard. How are you handling it? Or how did you handle it the last few months? I mean, I handled it. I got it written. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It happened. Um, It was definitely slower going than usual. Like when I wrote my first books, um, I wrote them really fast. Like I was so focused on getting an agent, trying to get published that I was, I was kind of just in a bubble of writing. Um, and then with this one, it took me a lot longer. Um, I think just because there were so many external factors and I knew people were actually relying on me to write this book. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had not experienced that before ever. Like I had people messaging me who had finished an arc of my first book and being like, oh, I'm so excited for the sequel. And so while I'm here trying to write the sequel in the back of my mind, it's always, my God, is this person who messaged me going to be disappointed by what I'm coming up with? Like (laughs) those things that you have to try and push out of your head, but it's really tough. No, it is tough. And it's, you know, there's the expectation, but there's also this, um, you know, this feeling that you get, like, I don't just want people to be happy with it. I want to impress them. Like I wanted them to love it even more than the first one, which is like a whole other kind of pressure. Yeah, no, it's really tough. And, um, even now, like I'm working through the the developmental edits and, um, I mean, I think it's just one of those things that comes along so much slower than the first book in a series, because there are so many things that you have to think about connecting back to that first book. And again, this was my first time writing a sequel at all. Um, right. All yeah, books. there's that too. Right. Uh, so it was just a whole different ball game, And yeah, hopefully people still like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, I'm excited for the sequel. I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. It's been a long road. So hopefully people yeah. like it. Um, And of course, I I do want to talk about Seven Faceless Saints, but real quick, I have to just go back one more time to this um, part of your story where you had so many requests for the full manuscript for your previous book and that it ultimately didn't sell. And I can just imagine how incredibly frustrating that was. 
Um, oh. And yet, of course, you didn't let it stop you. You continued to write and produced um, the book that then is now becoming your debut novel. Um, yeah. Was there end, ever a time when you doubted yourself when you wanted to give up or like, how were you able to kind of get through that? Oh, boy. Um, were there times when I doubted myself? Yes, absolutely. Um, constantly. Uh, like there were times when I'm sitting there like, why am I even doing this? <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sure every writer feels every so often, but I've always been a very like hyper-focused, determined person. Um, and I just had this idea in the back of my mind that I am going to publish a book and I don't care how many books I have to write. I'm going to write them all very fast in a row and one of them will work. And no part of me is going to accept that that's not going to happen. And that's kind of what I did for many years and eight books in a row. Honestly, I don't know how I was that driven. But I just wanted it so badly that I just had to keep going, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I do know. I actually relate to that a lot. That just kind of like single-minded focus of this thing that you just want heart and soul. I get it. Yeah. And it, yeah, I cried a lot, but. I did too. Um, You're not alone. <laughs> you cry and then you just keep writing, I guess. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That is the story. That's the journey. You cry and then you keep writing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right. On that note, would you please tell listeners a little bit about your debut book, Seven Faceless Saints? Yeah, I would love to. Um, so this is a young adult dark fantasy murder mystery. Um, it's got some horror elements. It's got some romance and it's essentially set in kind of a pseudo Italian world. Um, and it's got two points of view. One is Roz Latratosa, and she is a rebel um, in that world. And she's also a disciple, which means she is somebody blessed with magic, but she's not happy about it. Um, and then the other character who has a point of view is Damien Venturi. Uh, and he has no magic, but he works for kind of the magic system um, because his dad worked for the system. And now he's kind of been moved into a similar position. So he wholeheartedly believes that he is in the right spot. And uh, even though his life isn't fantastic, he thinks he's doing what's for the best. Um, and of course, Roz thinks this is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so those two were childhood best friends who were kind of in love, but in the way that young people are. Um, and then Damien went off to war and now he's back and their paths kind of cross again. Um, and they end up having to solve a murder together. For Roz, she wants to solve it because all these unfavored, which are unmagical people, um, are being murdered. And then finally, somebody with magic gets murdered. And that's when Damien has to come and try and solve it. So they kind of have to work together each to solve the murders for their own reasons. And they're not very happy about that at first. But um, they do it. And, you know... Things uh, reignite a little bit, and I won't say a lot more than that. <laughs> no, I love it. I love in your description, you're like, and then Damien goes off to war, and now he's back, and they have to solve a murder together. And you're like, oh my gosh, you just skipped over so much drama, <laughs> conflict, tension. There's so much history between these two characters, and it's it was, delicious. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of angst, a lot of history. Um, I can't even go into that, because then I would- No, just... I know. We don't want to spoil it. <laughs> Of course, but 
just no. know that there's more to that story. Yes, there is. <laughs> um, so one thing that I, I mentioned before we started the recording, this is one of the most spectacular covers. Uh, I love the cover art. Um, uh, my arc doesn't list the illustrator, but you you had her name. Yeah, um, it's Sasha Vinogradova. I hope I'm saying her surname right, but oh my god, she's done so many covers um and they are all amazing I'm just I was blown away by the cover to be honest when I saw the final version it's so good (laughs) it is so beautiful and just creepy eerie atmospheric all of the things the book is it captures it so well it does doesn't it I I have to admit at first when I saw the sketch of it I was not loving the idea of like the creepy faced statue on there I was like nobody wants to look at that Um, but once it was actually rendered into like an actual cover, I was like, oh yeah, that looks really good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. It's sometimes like the designers send us these mock-ups that's like usually just, yeah, I don't know, cheap art that they found on the internet and like cut and pasted together. And you're like, really, this is what we're going with. But then yeah after the illustrator takes that and turns it into like real art, then you're like, okay, I see the vision now. (laughs) It's so funny because I didn't even get the cut and paste kind of fake cover, which a couple of my friends have gotten something that looks kind of Photoshopped together. Mine looked like somebody had drawn it in like Microsoft paint or something. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of made sense, but it looked like somebody had drawn a character from the handmaid's tale with like one of those hoods. Oh, funny. Very funny. Um, but no, it ended up being really great. So I'm very happy with it. Yeah, no, it's it's really stunning. Um, and as I mentioned, I mean, it really captures such a great vibe that you have in the book. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is world building. Um, and it's a fantasy world. There's this incredibly rich history of wars, saints magic. Uh, What was your approach to writing and developing the world? Um, And in particular, I'm super curious how much that studying of political science came into play. I hate when I have to say to people that I am not a planner when it comes to building a world, Um, because I'm the kind of person who essentially writes out the whole story and just adds details as I go. And then I have to go back and kind of put together a document of those details to figure out what I need to keep and what makes sense. Um, So the first drafts of my book, as far as world building go, they do not make any sense at all. And Mm -hmm. I have kind of accepted that. (laughs) I'm really focused on like the plot and the character motivations and stuff. And then I end up circling back to the world building and picking and choosing some of the elements that I've come up with. But in terms of this book, I actually had to cut down a lot of the world building. And I'm sure there's so many places that people say, like, I want to know more about this and this. And it was just too heavy, right? With all of that kind of detailed stuff. Um, And it also used to be a lot more historical, actually. Uh, And all of those elements were removed as well. So I kind of just ended up putting a document together and like figuring out when the war happened and what the timeline was and how that affected the main, like there's a place called Umbrazia, that's where they live. Um, And then the enemy state is called Breshat. Uh, And I had to figure out like how those two city states interacted and what that meant for their economy. 
Um, and in terms of the political stuff, I tried not to go too deep into that because I didn't think most people would care about it. <laughs> like I'm very interested in political fantasy and uh, those kind of complex relationships between states and city states and things like that. But I really tried to keep it fairly simple just in terms of what the problems were within Ambrazia. And sorry, I say that like a German person because in my head, all these names were <laughs> kind of German. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, so I think in the end, it ended up being, I think, less complicated than I originally imagined it to be. Um, but it definitely still has those elements of political complexity that I can't help adding in. Yeah. No, it's funny because I think that you're right. I think a lot of people are bored when it comes to politics just in general. But when you're seeing it through the eyes of characters that you care about and you're seeing how, you know, these big politics and wars and, you know, government officials who may or may not be corrupt and you're seeing how it directly affects these people that you've come to love, suddenly it becomes really interesting. And I think that's one thing that you've done very well in this book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, there was a lot of um, making the characters, like their characterization is directly impacted by the world around them, right? I think as somebody who's interested in how politics works and how it affects the people that are kind of within the system, um, I really like building characterization around that. Yeah, that's definitely something I tried to do there. So I'm glad it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could you go a little bit deeper there? Building characterization around this idea of how they're impacted by the world. Like, do you, mm -hmm. are you thinking kind of um, in terms of the world when you're developing your characters or is it kind of like a back and a forth? Like, okay, I know this character fits into this part of the society and that makes them like this and how does how does that work in your mind so I guess I start with the character motivations first usually and then I think when it comes to the character behavior at least when I was plotting this book I really drew from like the political landscape around them mm -hmm. um, so I kind of built the character based on the politics like Roz for example the female point of view character she's extremely angry about essentially the whole structure of the world around her and all the things that she's experienced and that are happening both to her and her friends. And all of that anger is kind of what drives her and her motivations throughout the entire book. And that political system is what's feeding the anger. So it's yeah. kind of a cycle, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's really interesting because of course we have these two characters who are so embroiled in what's happening in this world on a larger scale. Um, but just in case we have anyone listening who like hears politics and immediately like is like, well, that's not for me. I don't like politics. Um, it's so intense and suspenseful and full of so much great emotion between these two characters. So let's go into the romance a little bit. Um, okay. We've got hints of two of my favorite tropes. We've got the friends to enemies to lovers trope. Um, we also have this very kind of star-crossed storyline between them. Uh, so things that I just live for. So how did you go about um, developing the romance and writing the romance between these characters? Uh, well, I'm always the kind of person who's drawn towards like a very complicated romance. Like I really like when they don't like one another and you have to deal with that tension. 
So I think I started actually with developing Roz's character. So I knew that she was going to be person who was angry at the system and the one who wanted to change things. Um, and so naturally I thought, well, if I'm going to build her somebody that she's going to have as a romantic interest and I want it to be interesting, I should have them feel completely opposite. Um, so then when I planned out how Damien was going to be connected to his world and the political system, I made him kind of like it in a sense, um, or at least believe in it. So yeah, then you have both of them kind of wanting different things and you have to bring them to more of a middle ground. And there's a lot of conflict as I do that. And I just love writing that kind of thing. No, I do too. And they, they really sizzle these two characters. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and then what about the decision to make them uh, once one-time friends, you know, that they were so close in childhood. Um, they were pretty much in love with each other as kids mm-hmm. before uh, he was sent off to war. And now everything has worked against them ever since. Um, was that always a part of the plan? Yeah, I'm really into, I love when characters already have like an established backstory. I just think that's really fun. Even if they were just friends and it doesn't kind of all fall apart, but when I'm writing it, it's usually going to fall apart. (laughs) (laughs) It has to get worse before it can get better. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I just feel like writing those moments of reflection of what they had previous to when the story starts, um, it just could lend a lot to I guess, kind of the pain and the angst that they're feeling Um, because you can see how their relationship used to be and how great it was and how much they cared about each other. But then you have that kind of juxtaposed with how they are now at the beginning of the story where they're furious with one another, or at least Roz is furious with Damien. He's more kind of just sad. (laughs) Um, But I just really like kind of showing those two things side by side. So the history and the present. Um, And I just think it's really fun to write their winding and convoluted path of getting back to a a happier place. Mm -hmm. What would you say is one of the most challenging aspects for you when it comes to writing romance? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if it's challenging per se, but I feel like I never know when the exact moment should be that things get resolved. because. This is going to sound strange, but I'm the kind of person who loves to write the tension and does not like to write the moment after the tension when they finally get together. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I know everybody's reading for the moment when they get together and some authors are writing up to that moment. And like, I am, but I love writing the tension. So once that tension kind of comes to a head and then there's that moment of like a honeymoon period that's supposed to follow. I don't like that period. (laughs) I don't like writing that. I like the tense fun part where they hate each other. Um, So yeah, the tough part for me is deciding when that shift needs to happen and how it fits in with the rest of the, the overall plot and then making myself write the happy part, which I don't want to (laughs) do. Oh, that's so funny. I I love writing the tension, but I'm one of those writers where I am, I am aiming for that moment. (laughs) Like I want to make it draw it out as long as possible, but oh, it feels so good to finally get there. (laughs) (laughs) No, that makes sense. I mean, I didn't write towards it, but once I get there, I'm kind of (laughs) sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have these two characters. They're very different from each other. 
Um, and as you've said, Roz, very angry. Damien, kind of just sad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But not in like a, a really strong character. Um, but when it comes to Roz, he just feels like a little lost, I think. Um, did you... In writing the dual point of view, did you have one that was easier to write than the other? That's an interesting question because I feel like they're both such different parts of me. Um, Like for Roz, I really drew from like the angst and anger that I felt as a teen and even now just about anything. Um, And I really channeled that into her character and it was kind of cathartic in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with Damien's character, I really tried to access just the part of myself that was kind of existentially hopeless and kind of sad but still driven to you know do a good job at the thing that I'm supposed to be doing yeah so they're both difficult in that I really wanted it to be authentic but they're also easy in the sense that I drew from my own experiences I think if I had to say that one of them was easier it would probably be Roz Um, just because I think my narrative voice lends better to writing a character who's more upfront and blunt because I am also very upfront and blunt. (laughs) So I understand being the character who's like a little bit too much for some people and maybe says the things that you shouldn't. And I think that was easier for me just in terms of which character was more like me um, and how I write. I'm very blatant in my phrasing and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I'm curious because one thing that I think is interesting when you have a book like this where there's dual point of views in which the two characters have such vastly different perspectives on the world, the situation, um, in this case, the, the political system. Was it challenging to be able to write each perspective in a way that you know, readers can understand why why they're holding on to these beliefs. Because obviously, as the writer, uh, you can kind of see like, or you have to kind of be able to see from each side, but they're so vastly different. Yeah. So I think most of that came down to Damien and his character, because um, I think he's the one who has more of the shift in terms of perspective over the course of the book. So it was tricky to write from his perspective as the beginning, because Obviously, how he feels at the start is not how I want him to feel at the end. And I'm, as the writer, not agreeing with him, technically, because he believes that this world is functioning the way it's supposed to, and the rules are meant to be followed and all that kind of stuff, right? And obviously, I don't think that, or I wouldn't have written this world to be such a mess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it is, but it's interesting to try and put yourself in the character's head and kind of try to understand why they're thinking those things. And I think in writing Damien, it was it was less difficult in the sense that he wasn't fully convinced, like he wanted to be convinced that he's doing the right thing and that everything in this system is correct. Um, But there's a part of him, even from the very beginning, that knows that something's not quite right and that his beliefs, even though he's trying to hold on to them, they're just not as strong as they should be. And so it was kind of fun to follow that thread and watch it unravel as his character changes throughout the course of the story. And I guess Roz does a similar sort of thing, but instead of understanding that her worldview might not be correct in terms of the system, she's sort of learning to forgive Damien because 
at the beginning, she's angry at everything. She's angry at Damien, especially because his dad killed hers um, during the war, which I left out in the main summary, but that's the main (laughs) reason that she's mad at him at the beginning. So I will tell you that. And so she's essentially learning how to open up to her friends and herself and try and understand his perspective a little bit more. Um, And she's not great at that. Admittedly, you will see that if you read it. (laughs) But yeah, so they're just very different characters and they both have a lot of changing to do, but not too much changing because I need them for the second book too, right? (laughs) (laughs) Character needs somewhere to go. Yeah, exactly. No, and I like that you mentioned her friends too, because it's interesting that, you know, when you think about what opinions people hold and um, different perspectives, it's never in a vacuum. Like, you know, you you tend to uh, kind of fall into the same beliefs as, you know, the family that you grew up with or the friends that you fall in line with. And, you know, here we've got, um, even though these two characters grew up together as kids, now they're running in totally different circles. And so like for Damien in particular, even though he has this instinct of like, eh, maybe things aren't as great as they seem, it's more complicated than just like, well, I'm just going to throw it out and now, you know, go believe something else. You know, you've got family ties, you've got friends that makes it really hard to do that. Well, absolutely. And I think that's part of the struggle for people who have an established belief for so much of their lives. Right. Um, And that was part of my struggle when I was like a teen. So I think a lot of that struggle that I felt I put into this book um, because it's not like you just flip a switch and suddenly you're changing everything you think and believe, right? Like you've got family that feels a certain way and you're doing things with people who think about that thing in a certain way. Um, and it's not easy. Like you can't just decide you're going to believe something different and change your whole life, right? It doesn't work <laughs> that way. Uh, I think it's really an internal struggle and that's what I tried to show with Damien, um, because at the start, you can see that he's trying so hard to tell himself that he's doing the right thing and what he's believing is the correct belief system. And once it starts to fall apart, he's got this almost internal panic because (laughs) if this falls apart and my beliefs are wrong, like what is there for me? What's left for me in this world? Yeah, Um, I know that sounds dramatic, but I think that's probably how a lot of people feel when they start to see their beliefs kind of collapsing around them. Like you're like, where do I go next? What what is here for me if this if this structure kind of disappears? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it makes for just wonderful internal tension, Um, especially being in his head for half the book, like seeing that is really, really great. Um, and then as he does start to change, um, and, and Roz too, you know, as she changes, we also get to see some of the fallout and the consequences of those change, those changes, um, Mm -hmm. which just makes for wonderful tension throughout such great conflict on every page. (laughs) I do love my tension. (laughs) Yes. No, I can tell something gave it away. (laughs) Um, all right. My last question about the book, um, is I would love to hear maybe like your top tip or your, you know, number one strategy or however you want to think about it for writing really wonderfully atmospheric descriptions, because there were some parts of the book where 
the places that you're describing were just so moody and creepy and delicious. Uh, So kind of what's your strategy there? Or do you have one? I mean, I think my narrative voice is very descriptive in general. Like I really have to cut back on description and edits. Um, But my tip, and this is not a very exciting tip, is that I literally Google pictures of places and then try to describe them. (laughs) So I do the same thing. You're not alone there. (laughs) It's not a very exciting tip. But like if I'm trying to describe a creepy graveyard or something, I will literally Google search creepy graveyard and pull up images and try to look at that and think like, what elements of these are creepy and how can I describe it in a way that like utilizes the senses and will make that really come across in the story. So yeah, just looking at visual images really helps me, I guess. Yeah, no, that's wonderfully practical advice. (laughs) I I do the same thing. If I'm having trouble visualizing something, I'm like, okay, here to Pinterest we go. (laughs) I did so much Googling of like buildings for this book, just because I wanted the city to feel a certain way. And I don't know a lot about architecture, shockingly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So I would just Google like a certain type of building, like with cast iron on the front of it or something like that, and try and describe it into the book so that it it kind of added to the atmosphere. So yeah. yeah, a few years ago, I bought, what is it called? It's like the, uh, I'm looking at my bookshelf to see if I can find it. Um, it's like the architecture's encyclopedia or something like that. Um, and it's just like pages of different elements in architecture and what they're called. And it's been so useful. <laughs> that would be useful. I sometimes have like a mental image of something that I want to describe on like an old church but I'm like, I do not know what that thing is called. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah, no, there's very useful. And they're very specific. Yeah. The yeah. flying buttresses aren't the same as the non-flying buttresses. Exactly. <laughs> it's a lot of vocabulary. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Okay. My last question before our bonus round. What would you say is one of the top challenges that you have faced so far in your career? And how are you able to overcome that? Oh my God, that's a heavy question. (laughs) (laughs) I do wonder if we've already kind of covered it with your, um, uh, your agent querying story, but you might have something else that I don't know about. Oh, I guess that was like the thing I overcame in the last stage of my writing before I got to the publication stage. So I think of them as like two separate stages, but Mm. I think in my current stage, um, Well, I kind of already touched on this, but I think the main thing is trying to be creative when you know you have people waiting on your work now. And I explained how that's like, it's difficult to have the weight of expectation and you don't know if what you produce next is going to be like liked by people and you don't know if it's going to fit into what you've already written. Like, will it make sense or will people feel like you know, this doesn't feel like MK Lob, Um, but also at the same time, you want to grow as a writer and expand what you're writing and maybe even shift genres a little bit. Um, And it's just a lot more difficult to try and plan out your career that way um, because it has to make sense and it has to be marketable too, right? Yeah. Um, And I guess other than that, my my main problem is writing when I have a full-time job. but I can't do a lot about that right now. <laughs> right, right. No, it is interesting the 
the struggle between, you know, wanting to please your readers, um, wanting to fit the market, of course, wanting your publisher to be just delighted with whatever you send them next. Mm-hmm. And yet it's a creative job. And in a lot of ways, you have to go where you're inspired to go. And that if you're inspired to go somewhere that seems like it's way off in left field and people are like, what you're doing what now? Um, it can, you know, create a lot of that internal tension that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of what I've done recently is just trying to work on blocking out a lot of that external noise um, and just focusing on where I want the book to go. And it's hard. Like, I feel like that's almost something that you have to practice doing, like getting yourself away from the internet and shutting yourself in your office and just thinking like, where do I see this book going? What makes sense logically to me? And then let the external stuff come after when you're not actively trying to bang it out on your keyboard. Yeah. (laughs) No, absolutely. I think that that's that's really the key. Um, And you're right, it does take practice. um, And it's a a skill that can be developed. Uh, But I know, like, for me here, 10 plus years into my career, when I'm in my office working on a book, I almost never think about the readers or the end product or my publisher anymore. Mm -hmm. But I know that for a long time, it was really difficult to shut out those voices. Yeah. No, that is my goal. Not thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, am I mean, you do afterwards, then you're done writing. And then like all of the doubts, the doubts and the fear creeps in. But like when you're, yeah. when I'm actively working on the book and kind of trying to be in that headspace and in that world. Um, yeah. I've, I've gone to a point where I can more or less immerse myself for that period of time, which is very helpful. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I think that's really important too. Um, Because I think once you've established a plan for a book, like it can really shift how your plot progresses if you're trying to think about too many other people's opinions, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. At least for me, it kind of gets unwieldy and chaotic and suddenly it makes even less sense than it would have if I just stuck to my original plan. (laughs) Yeah. No, too many cooks in the kitchen kind of. Yeah, exactly. Okie doke. Are you ready for our bonus round? I am ready. Cake or pie? Oh, I'm not a big fan of either, but I guess I'll go with cake. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What's your favorite dessert? Probably like brownies. Okay. That's That's more like cake. So (laughs) (laughs) plotter or pantser? Ooh, pantser at heart, but I've become a plotter now because I have to. I hear that a lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Writing in the morning or writing at night? Morning. I am productive in the morning. At night, my brain is mush. Security officer or secret rebel? Ooh, secret rebel, of course. (laughs) I can't listen to people telling me what to do. (laughs) Which of your seven saints would you be a disciple of? Ooh, you know, I've thought about this and um, I want to say something cool like patience because that's what Roz is. Um, But I feel like I'd probably be death um and they're not like they're not bad I know death sounds scary um but I feel like disciples of death at least the way I imagine them is that they're very like watch the world around them a lot like they pay attention to details and stuff and they're they're kind of interested in understanding why people do the things that they do um but they're also kind of solitary and I tend to be fairly solitary so I think I would be death how do you fill the creative well? 
mostly reading, um, taking in other media, uh, and also going to the gym and just pumping weights until I stop thinking about my books for a bit. <laughs> what is your favorite part about being a writer? You know, I think the friendships that I've made through the writing community, like I would not be able to do any of this without the people that I talk to and that read my stuff and just keep me going when I'm crying. <laughs> what book makes you happy? Oh my gosh. So, that's not a fair question. There's so many. <laughs> There's so many. Um, but right now I am reading the, um, oh, what's it called? I just started it. It's a romance book. <sighs> Love at first set, I think it's called. It, anyway, it's a, it's a sapphic romance about a girl who works at a gym and I love to go to the gym and I'm just having a heckin' good time. <laughs> <laughs> what are you working on next? Ooh. So like I said, we just handed in my um, option book. And so I guess I'll say I'm still working on that, but it is a historical fantasy with a heist element. Um, and I would say that it's kind of the book of my heart. So I love it. Heists are one of my 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 words, my auto buy words, put a heist in it and I'm there. <laughs> uh, well, I hope it goes somewhere and um, that my heist is well executed because they are hard to do. <laughs> oh, so hard. I know you've tackled murder mystery and from there to heist, like you're, I'm just going to challenge myself with the most difficult plots possible. And all the crimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lastly, where can people find you? Um, I am on social media at MK underscore lob, L-O-B-B. Um, my website is mklob.com and uh, my book can be found pretty much on any of your major retailer sites. Awesome. MK, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Readers, be sure to check out Seven Faceless Saints. It is available now. Of course, we encourage you to support your local indie bookstore. If you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. Next week, I will be talking with Lakita Wilson about her new YA contemporary romance, Last Chance Dance. Don't forget to check out our merchandise on Redbubble and TeePublic, and please follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. And also, don't forget to check out our February contest for your chance to win a book. Until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy, and whatever life throws at you today, I do hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.